people will see me doing my thing and I'll have business leaders be like, oh, maybe this works for you. But I sell to corporate executives. I sell to quote unquote serious people. Well, I'm selling to people in finance. And I tell them, I'm like, do you think people just stop laughing when they reach a certain amount of money? Because they don't, you know? Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Marketing Revisited. My name is Liam Maroney, I am your host, and on this podcast, I talk to the smartest marketers I know, one topic at a time, to learn what's new, what's changed, and what you need to leave behind to be a better marketer. And on this episode, I talked with Chris Bogue. He is the owner of Chris Bogue Communications, and you may know him from the absurdly funny videos that he posts on LinkedIn. He helps deliver what he calls mercifully short video content that drives revenue. And on this episode, we talked everything to do with marketing and selling through video. It was educational. It was funny. You do not want to miss it. Hope you enjoy. Take a listen. Chris, welcome to the podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Liam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this. So today we are going to revisit video. And you are easily one of the most standout video people on LinkedIn. You you positively leap off of the feed. I think you have one of the most interesting combinations of absurd humor, genuine authenticity, and an infectious just enthusiasm. So before we kind of dive into the sort of the nitty gritty of sort of what's wrong with video and why we're not doing it well, I would love to start with kind of where you came from. Like, how did you come up and have this sort of style and, and, and persona that, that keeps on showing up on my LinkedIn feed? Well, first off, thank you. It's very flattering. Um, yeah, I live in this happy world between sales and content marketing, which is useful because those are two teams of uh, people who, let's say, don't get along as well as they should, right? Um, I, my background was I did sales for about 10 years. So I was in Chicago's tech scene. When COVID struck, I was selling to university professors. And there was three ways that we would reach them. We would either call their office phone, we would visit them on campus, or we'd visit them at a conference. None of those were available anymore. So I started getting on video and I quickly realized that it was powerful and that I could get meetings with pretty much anybody, you know, even people who had been ignoring my company for years, just like not answering our emails. And it's because before I got into sales, I was a sketch comedian for even longer. So I learned improv and sketch comedy at Chicago's Second City. And uh, I did a lot of, little bit of reality television. I did a little, I did some web series. I did some stand-up, I did some experimental theater, and um, I just kind of wound up in the right place, right time, where it's like, I have the sales knowledge, and um, really, you only have to be interesting for like 30 seconds. That, that's all you need. Um, so I realized I could get on camera, I could sell to people more easily than I could through you know, cold emails and cold calls. And then I realized that business schools don't teach you how to do this yet. So um, that's what I do now. I quit my job, I started my own business, I train individuals, I train sales teams on how to sell on video and also how to create content that's going to drive uh, revenue for your business because it turns out uh, B2B companies suck at content too, Liam. Have you noticed that? I, this, this, is, this is not the first time I've heard or said that. So I, let's start there. Why does it suck so much? Um, I think B2B SaaS companies suck at content because they are too wrapped up in being what they think the customer wants, you know, um, and a couple examples of that. So, um, one of the first objections I'll get whenever anybody sees what I'm doing on LinkedIn. And if your audience doesn't know, I, I push the envelope on LinkedIn. I am doing weird things. Um, I have multiple characters. I tackle, you know, topics that, uh, B2B companies are afraid to tackle. And people will see me doing my thing and I'll have business leaders be like, oh, maybe this works for you. But I sell to corporate executives. I sell to quote unquote serious people. Well, I'm selling to people in finance. And I tell them, I'm like, do you think people just stop laughing when they reach a certain amount of money? Because they don't, you know? And um, yeah, I noticed this when I was in higher education too, where it was like, these were elite professors at the most, you know, top universities in the world. 
And the leadership on my team was like, I'm a CEO, boo, 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 look at how important I am. And I'm like, these are stressed out people who are just like, their days are monotonous and their inbox is a nightmare. And if you just show up being delightful for 30 seconds, of course you can get them to stop and talk to you. You know, but you have to think about what would make them happy. And, um, you know, when I'm trying to find something funny, I just look to like, what makes me laugh? You know, and if it makes me laugh, yeah, it would make a CEO laugh or it would make a consultant laugh or, um, you know, there's this whole idea that B2B content needs to be serious. Um, and really, it just needs to be good. Yeah, that one. I mean, I've I've been feeling this forever because, you know, like and as I've gotten more senior, I realize I'm not spending any less time on TikTok or Instagram or watching stupid stuff. So like, it, I, I see it and I feel it. I think you know, you mentioned sales and marketing, and I think sales, I think it's intuitive for people in B2B. Okay, video makes sense because it's a way of getting in front of people because you can't break through. Like, I just want your attention for a few seconds to talk to you. But I think on the content side of it, we get this really wrong most of the time. In fact, I, I don't think there's even a consensus about what is appropriate use for video in B2B content. Because you see explainer videos. I know, appropriate, I say. You see like explainer type videos where it's, oh, animated. We want to like show you our product versus, you know, a recorded webinar or whatever it might be. Like, how do you think we could be better using video for content? Or how are we not using it today that we should be? Um, great question. So the simple answer is it has to be human. And the biggest problem I see when people bring me in to consult on their content strategy or their sales strategy, I will do an inventory of their marketing materials and their sales materials. And I say, I do not know who the human beings are here. I have no idea who works at the company. I have no idea who benefits from your products. Um, I have no idea who this was designed for. And once you figure out who, it all gets a lot easier. And, um, you know, I'll share this story with you. One thing I was inspired by that got me to start this business, and one thing that makes me confident that this is going to work, was a study on the 2020 election. So I do not talk about politics, especially on LinkedIn. Um, I don't, I'm trying to do something here that does not matter what your politics are. It's just a more productive way to work. But I was struck by this study because they were trying to figure out what changes a person's mind. And they were doing this by studying swing voters. So people who voted for one party in 2016 and then changed their vote in 2020. It's a very, very, very small percentage of the public, right? But a very valuable percentage of the public. So um, it was a bunch of researchers. They wanted to test what was effective at changing these people's minds. And they found that if an ad was too overproduced, if it looked too much to Hollywood and there's too many special effects coming in, um, voters didn't trust it. But when it was someone looking straight at the camera, saying, hey, I'm a voter, and here's why I'm voting for Donald Trump. You're like, hey, I'm a farmer. I live here in Florida, and here's why I'm voting for Joe Biden. That was what did it. And once I learned that, I, and you could, anybody at home who's listening to this, Liam, you could do this too. The next time you're scrolling through your newsfeed, you will begin to see this. Million and billion dollar brands, um, you know, top company, they are trying to do these things where they're like, whoa, hey, it's just me and my family. We're hanging out here with the barbecue. And it, they're trying to look like a regular person talking to a phone because that's what's compelling enough to pull our attention away. And, um, you know, my, my, like, I'm a writer and I, you know, I throw a lot of exciting twists and turns into my videos to keep them interesting. But at the core, it's me sitting at my desk talking into my phone, you know, and I, I, the, thing I like to hammer home to people is like you as a human being are interesting. And if you're just making eye contact with the camera, you know, it's, it's a two person scene. It's you and your audience member and you can talk straight to them. And um, yeah, that's actually more effective than super overproduced Hollywood stuff, which people have just learned how to ignore. And you know, it's funny. I have noticed a few companies I've gotten Maybe it was necessity through COVID, but they've started to do it. So I've noticed Clearbit does this. I've gotten sponsored ads from Clearbit where it's someone clearly recording a Zoom into their in their bedroom and you can see it's someone. So I've started to get sponsored ads of people just talking as though you were on a Zoom with that person. I know metadata does it really well. 
But I think it's hard for a lot of brands because, you know, I, I'll, I'll channel my, my uh, sort of marketing leader head where I'm like, oh, well, we got to stay on brand. How do we make sure it's, it follows our brand style guidelines? I mean, what if it's, if, if we don't make sure our color and our intro teaser and our logo splashes all over it, how, uh, how would you, or do you overcome that? Do you ever come up with that? Like, you know, one-to-one -one communication is a person to a person. How do you make sure that still feels like it's the brand talking or should it? Yeah, no. So these are all great questions. One, um, yes, especially on sales teams, you need to speak in the brand voice. I recommend, and part of the reason why I'm doing this is I know enough B2B SaaS teams out there to know these companies don't have a process, right? They would never in a million years say that cold calling doesn't need a process. They would never just wing it and say, we're going to send however many emails we you know, get around to doing this week. And like, we're going to have no plan to grow that or monitor that or hold our reps accountable for that. But that's how they treat video. You know, so I say first and foremost, um, yeah, you need to be able to speak in the company voice. And um, all my videos are very simple, you know, and I see companies complain because they send Vidyards or Drift or BombBomb or whatever, you know, Loom, and their prospects only watch 10% of the video. And usually it's because that video is super long. My direct videos, whenever I'm asking for a sales meeting, it's like 30 seconds long or 45 seconds long. And I use the word you a lot, you know? So I'll be like, hey, Liam, I follow your content. I know you're a sales leader. I know you guys have been working on Vidyard. I see that your sales reps are saying X and Y and Z. And I'd like to have a conversation with you because that's what I coach. And if you'd like more Vidyards, if you'd like to produce them faster and, you know, increase your open rate and increase your engagement rates, um, yeah, let me know if you'd be open to a conversation. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't deal with Zoom backgrounds. If you see here, this is always my desk. Um, I know some people are big on having like the green screen and like the uniform look. And my theory is like the little things that make you um, different get you noticed. You know, your little imperfect mistakes will help you stand out. And um, as long as the words are relevant, that's really the only thing the audience cares about. And they don't care about your appearance. They don't care about, you know, your background. They don't, there's, they don't have time to Google you. It's like if you are speaking their language for 30 seconds and you make it very easy to meet with you, you make it very easy to find your information so they can go research you themselves. Um, yeah, it's just the, the next best thing to talking to someone in person. And you know what? I, I think... I never want to say COVID was a good thing, but COVID changed one thing for a positive, which was that it proved that we did not all have to look corporate and perfect. And, you know, like this idea that going back of, oh, you you, you can't sell if you, to someone if you're not wearing a, you know, business casual outfit or like, and, you know, we've seen on videos, like I think we all immediately had to go home and everyone dialed in from their bedroom or living room, wherever it was. And suddenly you saw, the CEO still had unfinished projects in the background. His kid was annoying him. Her dog was barking the entire time through the thing. Like the human part actually made it more endearing. And it also proved the thing that frankly, B2B companies were wrong about forever, which was like, like you can still sell to people being a casual human being over Zoom from your bedroom. It didn't change your ability to sell a $100,000 piece of software. In fact, if anything, it may have had better relationships because it felt more authentic all of a sudden. And like, yeah, because yeah, like it feels like that should transfer through to the way we do marketing now. Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, because I see a bunch of people out there who are very skilled salespeople. They are skilled trainers. They're keynote speakers, but they treat video like they're in this giant auditorium where they are projecting to the back seats. And I'm like, dude, you are six inches away from your microphone. You know? And um, this is the problem I had in higher education too, where my bosses were like, this is a professor, you know, this is a serious person. We need to go in here and show them that we made X amount of money doing X and Y and Z. And I'm like, guys, get a cup of coffee and just talk to them like they're sitting across the table from you because they are. You are in their home now. And, um, you know, it was, and again, I'm an improviser. So I love these moments where there's no script and nobody knows what to do because 
if you just listen to people, if you just play off people, you can always find a way through it, you know? And um, yeah, my bosses were freaking out because they didn't know what to do. I'm like, guys, this is the scene in Jurassic Park where we're tapping the fence and it's turned off. Like these gatekeepers can't stop me anymore. I can just step literally into someone's home. You know, I, I liken it to the bygone days before buildings had security where you could just walk into a company and walk up to the president and be like, I'm Chris Bogue. Damn glad to meet you. Here's why you should hire. And you can just start talking to people. You know, and I have I have conversations with people all the time. I when I first launched my business, I had conversations with CEOs who would like they're way out of my league. You know, they're doing all these giant deals, and like I'd have a conversation with them. They'd be like, "Okay, well, this is all great. Why don't you come back when you can explain how many millions of dollars I'm going to make off this?" And I'm like, "Okay, you know." So um, it was okay. It did, the pitch didn't work, but. Um, I just had a conversation with an extraordinarily successful person and now they know who I am and now they gave me advice and now that door is open for when I'm ready to come back to them, I'll get another shot, you know? And it's like, people are just scared to start introducing themselves and the content is a way to do that that puts the, the prospect back in the driver's seat, you know? So if they're not ready to have a meeting with me, and this happens all the time where I pitch somebody they ignore my video, they don't respond, they don't get back to me. But a couple months later, I start seeing them show up in the likes and I see them show up in the comments. They start going to the live shows, they start interacting with the people who are interacting with me. And then, yeah, a few months later, now you know they know who I am, they've, they've been able to um, enjoy me in a context where I'm not asking them for anything. I'm not asking them to give me their time or to buy my stuff. You know, I'm just sharing what I know um, or I'm sharing them something, you know, maybe a little bit delightful and entertaining that might brighten up their day. And um, yeah, it's just such a, I feel it's such a time saver. It's such a trust builder. And I think people just get so obsessed with like, what if they do it wrong? What if they look stupid? What if they're cringy? What if somebody makes fun of them? You know, what if their hair looks stupid? What if they look overweight? There's all these very real internal hangups that people have, and that's why they don't do video. Um, well, one of the reasons why they don't do video, at least. So I want to go back to what you were saying about being ignored and like the follow-ups. I've definitely seen this, and this is kind of getting into a little bit of the sales sort of video territory, but I, at a previous company, we had, done this campaign where we said like, oh, there's a, there's a giant company. It was a, uh, a large, it was like sort of a fast food restaurant and we were going to send them a video because we felt like, okay, we've, we've got all the information. We know the person, we just want to get their attention. And I think we, we struggled because we, the best way of putting it is we kind of, we made the video feel like a Hail Mary pass. And it was very much this, like, we want your business. Like we're here. How do you how do you sell through video without, I guess, making it feel like it's an all or nothing? I was like, where do I go from here? Like, okay, I've just like begged you for your time. Like, what's the sort of natural way of getting a message through video while still selling? I mean, I sell the same way I did over the phone, which is you sell the meeting, not the product, you know? So it's like, I am asking for the opportunity to talk with you for 25 minutes. And um, once somebody gives me that, you know, and I, I coach my clients this way too, it's like, you're asking for the opportunity to talk about this thing. And once you're granted that, you get all these different sales powers that you don't have in a regular conversation. Someone gives you a 25 minute meeting, you can prepare a slide deck. You can uh, crunch numbers. You can ask them questions about their budget. You can ask them questions about um, their processes and their downfalls. And you have all sorts of things you're allowed to do in that meeting that you're not allowed to do in a, a polite conversation. So my goal is, can I get the opportunity to sell? I do that on video or, you know, if I have to cold call or cold email or somehow get someone's attention, my technique was always, a, a sales leader once taught me, um, you want it to feel like a current and you want to make it harder for them to break the current than to go along with you. And um, in sales, I always learned, don't treat the meeting like a prize. Treat it like this thing that's already in progress and see if they want to join the party. You know, and I, I always did this in sales where it's like, okay, hey, you know what? 
Um, Liam, I'm reaching out to you. I'm doing this thing with sales leaders. It's super fun. It's super easy. Um, I think it'd be perfect for you. I'm meeting with some people next week. Let me know if you'd want to check it out. You know, and I'll say something. My call to action is usually very soft. I'm usually like, hey, if you'd like to meet with me, respond to this message with anything at all. If you send me one of these, send me a thumbs up. I'll send you my calendar invite. And if this is just way off base, you can even send me a thumbs down and I'll just cross you off the list. I'll just know that this isn't for you, right? Um, but just let me know if you'd want to check it out, you know? And um, I always, I call it the green room effect, um, you know, but I always want to make it seem like there's a cool thing happening. It's coming up. I'd like you to be a part of it. Let me know if you want to be in the room or not. And I'll save a spot for you, you know? And um, I sell my business. And I, it's funny too, because, you know, salespeople always complain about marketing qualified leads and webinars. I was always really good at webinars. And I always told them, I go, it's not a webinar. It's a party. Sell it like it's a party. Um, your guest is, you know, your host is a celebrity. And I, you know, I have a live show where I always say, I, I don't have first connections. I have celebrity guest stars, you know? And it's like, hey, this is the show. This cool, smart person is, is going to be sharing knowledge that's going to be valuable to you. All these other cool people are doing it. Let me know if you want in on that. And if not, I'm going to continue enjoying your content because I enjoy it, you know, and I enjoy you. And um, yeah, I just make it this ongoing party that if they want to get in, I'm just, here's the door. And um, I always say when I'm training people that your job as a salesperson is not to sell everybody at every single moment. You know, um, the research says people only make a major buying decision every like 14 to 16 months. So um, my job with the content is not to get a sales meeting with you right now. It is to open the lines of communication. And, you know, seven months from now, if your team is getting into video and you want to up the game and you're thinking about some training, I want to be top of mind and I want to be, okay, well, you know what? Um, yeah, maybe we should check out Chris Bo because I enjoy his content. I enjoy his stuff. He reached out to me. It was 30 seconds long. He wasn't a pushy jerk. And um, yeah, if they come back to me two months from now, and I've gotten that too, where I send the video, they ignore it. And then three months later, I get a thumbs up emoji. And I, great, I send them my calendar. And it's like, they weren't ready at the time, but now they are ready. And I got 25 minutes to do my best shot. That's you know, and win it or I'll lose it. But that's that's now I got my chance. I can eat my Wheaties. I can do my pushups. I can do my sales thing. Make the slide deck. Have the pricing laid out. Use that challenger framework, whatever framework you want to use. Um, but yeah, I always say like, if you're doing sales right, you're spending a very very small percentage of time selling. You know. Um, most of what you're doing is not selling. And if you're selling to someone who is not open to you, you are wasting your time. You know, you need to be in the room with somebody who's already giving you consideration, who already sees value in what you're doing. And then the sales becomes much easier. But it's not because you're this skilled wheeler and dealer in the room. It's because you did the hard work of building that relationship a few months prior. I love that. So I want to switch it over to more marketing creative content. Do you think the same rule applies here? Like, let's say we're doing a product release or let's say we're launching a big new guide or research project or whatever it has been. Do you still think of video as the short medium to get their attention, to know it's there, to send them there? Or is it to communicate it within the video? Um, it's everything. So, um, so there's a couple of things going on with content marketing right now that's interesting. One, um, this idea of the hero video, you know, where uh -huh. you have the one video on your website that explains what you do, it's not enough. And if you talk to anyone who is really killing it on TikTok right now, they have terrifying news for B2B SaaS leaders because they'll tell you TikTok wants three to seven videos every day, right? So, um, the new thing is not you pay an ad agency to make you one fantastic video, you know, for $20,000. The new thing is, can you go out there every single day with content? And that sounds horrible at first if you don't know how to do it, but it really just frees you up to make a lot of different types of content. So 
Anytime I'm coaching content creation, it's the same thing as sales. I always say, okay, do not make something that a million people are going to enjoy because you don't know a million people. Um, what you want to do is you want to imagine one person in your head. Literally go on one of your VIP sales lists, get your VIP prospect. Imagine they are sitting in front of you and think, what would this person need to hear? And um, whether it's content marketing, whether it's sales, I always say your job is to get one point across. And maybe you want your audience to understand one thing. Um, maybe you want them to take one action. Whatever that is, it's going to be easier if you have that one person in mind. And, um, you know, with companies, uh, what I train is like, okay, so you, you do your on-camera training with me. You know, where do you put the lights? How do you not ramble? How do you make eye contact with the lens? Um, you do your script writing. So I write everything in bullet points, little 30-second scripts that I can improvise around. I have a whole training on improv strategy and on outbound, outbound strategy, rather. So how do you actually get your stuff viewed? And then I have a content batching day. And um, yeah, I am encouraging uh, businesses need to experiment with lots of types of content. And, um, you know, some of that is educational. Some of that is like, what does our product do? Some of that is who works here at the company? What are our values? Um, some of it is who do we serve? Let's have some content about our success stories. You know, whose lives do we improve? And yeah, you want informational, inspirational, educational. You want content of all types because you don't know what quality content is and neither do I. And um, the only one who knows what quality content is, is your audience. And the more you make stuff, the more stuff just randomly lands. And um, Liam, as a content creator, I'm sure you've experienced this. This is the curse of content creation is I will spend days creating like this masterpiece of a video with multiple characters and music and super cut and just like super like really thoroughly thought out videos. And then I'll do something on TikTok for 15 seconds where I'm like, boo, here's a stupid joke. And then the 15 second thing goes viral, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it does not matter how important it is to you. Weird stuff is going to land with your audience. And um, I'm a big fan of feedback. And especially for anyone who is starting on content creation, I always say, keep a close eye on who is clicking the heart button. And um, those initial posts, when you're putting videos out there and people are enjoying it, I would reach out to them directly and just say, thank you for interacting with my content. Um, I'm doing some research to make it better. What stuck out with you? You know, what, what landed with you? And um, yeah, if you're just in the habit of putting stuff out there, it's personal, it's you, it's telling the truth, you know, it's, it's you know, you being fun, you trying to make your audience smile or um, give them something that's going to help them out, eventually something's going to land. And once something starts landing, then you can replicate that, you know? And um, another thing I coach my clients to do is I say, okay, you're, you don't have prospects and customers anymore. You have an audience. And um, one of my YouTube mentors, a friend of mine who's been doing video at a high level for about eight years, he has his own company and, um, you know, a staff of people working for him. He's like, yeah, break your audiences down into sub-audiences, you know? So for my product offerings, um, I've got a bunch of different audiences. I've got salespeople, right? They enjoy sales content. They enjoy corporate bro. Mm -hmm. um, they like funny, edgy stuff that satirizes sales culture, right? So I make stuff for them. I make comedy for them. I make stuff that I know is going to make them happy because that's a group of people I have to sell to. I also have a group of people who hate sales and they hate bro humor and they hate that stuff. Um, but they're content marketers, they're writers, they're artists, they're more artistic people, you know, and I make a lot of stuff about the writing process for them and the creative process. And then, you know, I caption all my stuff. So I have accessibility people. I have a whole segment of my audience that is deaf or um, they're just really big advocates of, you know, captions and making stuff accessible. So I make content for them too. And, you know, now it's not me saying like, oh, how do I make 50 different pieces of content? It's me looking at the calendar saying, you know what? I haven't done anything for the salespeople in a little while. I'm going to throw a funny sketch out there and I'm going to make fun of this trend that I see everybody talking about, you know, 
or um, you know what? Hey, the writers haven't gotten anything. I'm going to open up the, the door a little bit. I'm going to show them behind the scenes in my creative process, how I write content. And um, yeah, the more you see what works, the more you can figure out like, here's the types of people we play well to. Whenever we do X or Y or Z, it lands with these audiences. So now it's just setting up time every week. Can we make more stuff that we know this audience will love? So I want to talk about the humor part of it for a second, because you clearly yeah. excel at this. And I know you, you know, you speak about it. I agree with you. Like we can be funny in B2B. We should be funnier in B2B. But how do you, how do you keep funny intact? Because design by committee kills a lot of things and humor is usually the first to go. So where, where does that uh -huh. guess when you're coaching these clients, how do you find the funny and then how do you keep it funny all the way through the process of content creation? Okay. These are good questions. Um, so a couple things. One, improv is this counterintuitive style of performance where you're actually coached not to be funny. Improv is all about supporting the other person and giving the, setting up somebody else to look good for the joke. And um, they always teach you that the version of you that's trying not to be funny is actually the funniest. You know, so okay. look at people all the time that say, hey, you know what? I'm not funny. I could never do comedy, but I'm hilarious when I'm around my friends, you know? And, and I'm like, no, that actually, that is the funny version of you, you know? And um, yeah, there is something about just you being you. And, you know, the little unguarded moments is where the humor happens. So um, I always try to figure out, like, who was the version of you that was successful before? You know, and um, my one-on-one -on -one coaching, if I'm coaching someone individually, I call that soliloquy coaching because whether you're making video content or whether you're making sales content, that's just you and the audience, right? So um, when I do that, we go through and we do an inventory of, like, okay, when were you successful previously? You know, my stuff looks a lot like sketch comedy because I was a sketch comedian. I wrote and directed sketch shows at you know, Chicago's Second City. Um, but if you're a teacher or you were a teacher in a previous life, the funniest version of yourself is the version of you that's teaching. That's the version of you where you're most loose. You know, um, some of my clients had their soliloquy moment at church. Church is where they go and you know, that's where they're addressing their, their audience or you know, they're in Toastmasters or um, sports is a kind of performance. You know, it is different when there is an audience there and that version of you that's in the game, um, you're operating on a different level than business you, you know? So we always start, I take an inventory of, of their life and I say, okay, you're not you anymore. You're five to 10 different versions of you, you know? And the version of you that hangs out in the pub in Ireland is different than the version of you that's the boss, is different than the version of you that's the son, it's the brother, that's the neighbor. And um, yeah, you come out there as like whichever version of yourself can best relate to the audience. Um, but like, yeah, the, the comedy comes when you're trying not to be funny. And a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, I'm not even saying anything funny. I'm just reacting visually. And um, that's another reason why I train to look straight at the camera. Because if somebody says something and you're like, oh, what? You know, and you're just thrown off. Um, the reality is funnier than like coming up with some hysterical joke, you know? That makes sense. Actually, it, it sort of reminds me of something because I've had this conversation at more than one company where I've been talking about how, how come our marketing doesn't reflect our company culture. And that seems to be this gap I've seen a lot of where it's that like the authentic, whether it's a company all hands, whether it's a retreat that everyone was joined on, where you start to see, oh, that's who the CEO is. Oh, they talk like this. We banter like that. And yet it seems to kind of, it stays within the walls, even though it's the part of the company you go, this is authentically who we are. How do we, how do we spot this moment and go like, how do we bottle this and actually be able to show it outside of the world? And I think a lot of it is just fear of that being too silly or casual or oh we swear a lot on our all hands we can't be doing that in the world like it's it's like we can't let it out because it would be too i don't know raw unpolished silly stupid yeah well but that's the thing though and that's why i'm doing my thing on linkedin here and you know i saw linkedin it was like you know 
I was starting my business. I started posting content on LinkedIn. I looked at the video content. I'm like, oh, this isn't very good. Um, I could probably do better than this. Um, but LinkedIn gets a bad rep. And I think people are missing a huge opportunity here because they're like, oh, LinkedIn, it's so up its own ass. It's so, you know, CEOs talking about their wealth or whatever. And I'm like, here's two reasons why this platform is amazing. One, um, no children. And this is something I really challenge people to think about. I go, look, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram, if you're on TikTok, you are competing with teenagers twerking. I don't want to compete with that. I don't, if it's me giving business advice, you know, or like a dance crew, like just like twerking it up. Um, that's hard for me to compete with, but on LinkedIn, you don't have to compete with that, right? LinkedIn, we are all adults. And, um, that means you can be a little bit more highbrow. You know, you can, um, your audience is probably educated. You know, they're probably a high achieving person, or at least they have a job. Um, so yeah, you can make higher brow references. Uh, you can make highbrow jokes and you can say fuck cause there's no children. You can <laughs> swear, you know, and it's like. I actually find LinkedIn is this place where, you know, everything changed in work from home and it's kind of this island away from the rest of the internet. And yeah, if you just go talk to them like they're adults, they'll listen. And um, it's the, the fact that there's no children and everybody there has a job. You know, either they have a job, um, which means they can hire me, right? Or, um, their job sucks, in which case they're procrastinating, in which case it's pretty easy to keep their attention, you know? So um, that's a fantastic audience to play to. Um, you know, I was trained at the Second City where it's a little bit more highbrow. It's a little bit more trained to be like, you know what? Make your reference. You're going to satirize pop culture and you're going to satirize politics and the city of Chicago and the world and like, just make the reference and the people who will get it will get it, you know? And um, yeah, there's all this conventional wisdom about like write at an eighth grade level and or sixth grade level. And like, that is true when you're writing a cold email. But if you have a CEO and they've been following your stuff for a couple months, you don't have to play stupid. You know, you could actually, and this is a thing too, where sales leaders disagree with me. Marketers disagree with me. A lot of people disagree with me, but I always learn in comedy, play to the top of your intelligence. And that means, you know, um, when in doubt, go with what's true. And if you have to choose between the easy punchline that you've heard work before or the truth that you know is the actual truth, maybe it's not what people are willing to say, but you know that's the real experience, go with the truth. Go with the truth. And you're going to get that big laugh because comedy is truth. And, um, yeah, there's always these moments I have where I'll say something and I'm really pushing the line, um, but I never get any feedback from it. Nobody ever wants to cancel me because they listen and they go, yep, that's how it is. <laughs> He's right. You know, and it's like, if you're telling the truth, you can be a little blunt. You can be a little subversive. So they're like, well... That's fucking true. I don't like to admit it, but he's got me there, you know? Um, and I'm always, I've never, I don't like to do it in an accusatory way either. There are some people who like, their whole thing on LinkedIn is they're controversial. They pick fights with people. And the beautiful thing about the sketch comedy is I can just satirize myself. You know, I have this character named Vague Man who uh, he's like this really shitty superhero who only speaks in like infuriatingly vague statements. And it's great because I can satirize all these companies who have really lame corporate communications, but I don't need to put them on blast. I don't need to insult their work or their employees or their leadership. I just have this character. I just go out as the shittiest, vaguest corporate marketing person there is. And, you know, a lot of it is I'm making fun of myself. I'm making fun of the ways where I've been a corporate shitty marketer who isn't specific enough. Um, but the audience laughs because they've all been there or they've been sold to from somebody like that. And they don't have to feel defensive because I'm the butt of the joke. Not that, you know. And you and know, for anyone who tries to claim that this is 
this doesn't apply to companies and brands and products. Gong does this really well, where you go to their LinkedIn feed and it is just a bunch of memes half of the time where it's talking as though they are a sales rep and it's all stuff like, oh, well, I blew my commission before I actually got paid or uh, banking. Like It's all like, well, I told my parents I'm going to President's Club, but really I just took a you know, the trip to Cancun with my friends. And like, it's, it's relatable and it's poking fun at the profession, which feels, and so many B2B brands are terrified of this. Like we can't joke about the, the, the shittier parts of being a, a sales rep. It's like, but you should, cause they know it. It's true. And they're going to appreciate that you're acknowledging that it's true. And you can own it. You can own it. It's like, that's a, that's a, the reason why comics are self-deprecating is because it robs other people of the ability to put you down. And I would do this when I was cold calling people back before I was making sketch comedy on LinkedIn. I would totally call attention to that. I would make a video because, again, it wasn't even me sending the cold emails sometimes. It would get blasted out from our marketing department. The marketing person was there for a month and a half and they just got fired. The emails were terrible, you know. So I'd send a video of me being like, hey, uh, it's me. I think I might have sent you too many emails. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, um, I realize your inbox is full of emails. Um, here's why I did that. I know you think I'm just like some like robot out there. I am actually a person who's fascinated by the work you're doing in biology. And here's why I'd like to talk to you about critical thinking. You know, and I found if you comment on a situation, you can just cut the awkwardness out of it. You know, um, whenever I'm training a cold calling person, if you cold call somebody and they're like, is this a cold call? I always learned, my response was always, what would your reaction be if the answer was yes? Because now you're stepping outside of the situation. They're not talking about me. They're talking about the situation. And they'll be like, well, I would just hang up. And I go, well, thanks for not. <laughs> Can I have 30 seconds? Because um, I probably wouldn't pick up the phone either. I don't answer the phone for cold callers. Um, so yeah, I'll make it brief. And they're like, sure, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's this, and that's another reason why I call it soliloquy too, right? Is because um, there is something about breaking that fourth wall and talking straight to the audience. And Shakespeare did it. You know, you watch Othello, um, Iago, one of the most classic villains of all time, he would just have these moments where he would just, the play would be going on. He looks at the audience. He's just like, hey, everybody, I'm going to fuck these people's lives up. Check it out. And then he just goes right back into the scene. And, um, you know, there's all these TV shows, The Office and Parks and Rec, um, you know, Saved by the Bell. There's a, there's a million examples everywhere where it's like, if you just look directly at the audience, and again, you could do this in sales, be like, hey, by the way, sales, what a bunch of bullshit, right? Can't believe I'm doing this. Anyway, here's why I want 30 seconds of your time. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, something about calling out the game makes the other person feel like they're in on it, or at the very least, the person they're talking to is understanding that this is an uncomfortable context, and you're finding a way to pierce through that and make a human connection anyway. I love that. And so here's the last place that I want to leave this because I want to put a bit of structure around this where, you know, you're, you're telling everyone listening now that you got to be not trying to overpolish. You got to be trying to be human. You got to be one-to-one -one talking to people and you got to be showing up a lot and making it frequent publishing. So when you're showing up, if you're a brand and you're showing up, how much, if there's even a rough ratio of content that is simply video to say, I'm here, I'm of the community, I recognize it, I'm like talking about it versus talking about what you're doing. Here's the products we're releasing, we're doing this, this is what's going on in our company. And then the last, and I guess the hardest bit of like, come talk to us on the call to action. Like, what's the split? How much do you talk about yourself? How much do you ask for stuff? And how much do you just talk to be part of the conversation um don't ask for business 80 to 90 percent of the time you know i recommend if you are doing video cold outreach that that goes to your vips that goes to your prospects that are they are high level 
You don't want to damage the relationship, you know, by sending a, a cold email that's going to get you on the ignore list. So I always say, if it's cold outreach, they should be aware of you. They should be high value. Um, my trick is I, I coach people to record many videos on one piece of tape. So I'll say, for sales, you want to do something like make a list of five. Actually, here's, here's the sales thing I, I also do too. I say, pick a ceiling and a floor. You know, so if you're starting, maybe your floor is three videos and your ceiling is five. When I say, okay, you're doing outreach. Um, if you get three videos sent today, you can feel good about yourself. You don't need to feel bad. Um, you did it. You hit your floor. That's good. Um, if you hit your ceiling, you can feel amazing, right? Because you're going to get five a day. That's 25 in a week. That's a hundred videos in a month. Right. And so I always say you pick your ceiling and you pick your floor. If it's too easy to hit the ceiling, you got to raise the ceiling. You got to raise the floor. If you keep falling through the floor, you got to lower the floor. If you said, if you say, okay, I'm going to send five a day and you're constantly missing that, you need to lower it down. And um, now I've got content on LinkedIn every day. I advise when people first start, I say two to four videos a week is a fine goal. Um, it helps if you batch it. So again, I'll do with the, um, with the videos, just like I do with the vidyards, where I let the tape run and I'll just do a bunch of them back to back. And um, you can even experiment with like, I do this all the time with people where they be like, okay, hey, this is my five part series of like the five most important sales skills you need. Here's number one, right? Prospecting. And then you talk about prospecting for 30 seconds. That's one video. So you sit there, tape is still rolling, you go, okay. Hey, welcome to part two of my series on this. And, you, and so now you've got five different videos all on one piece of tape and you just chop it up. You know, you could throw it in iMovie. Um, you could use a free program like Adobe Rush or CapCut on your phone. And it's like, if you record one thing that's five parts, release it at the same time once a week, and that's five weeks worth of content, you know? Um, the other thing I say too is sales leaders get too focused on filling the pipeline. Video is very effective later on in the pipeline. So another thing I recommend doing is like, pull up your calendar, look at all the appointments you have on your calendar this week, especially if some of them scheduled it weeks or months ago, and you just go through one by one. I'll turn on the camera and I'll be like, this is, you know, Vidyards for the week of May 23rd. And we're starting with Liam. Hey, Liam, can't wait for a show on Monday. I'm excited about this. I know I'm going to want to talk to you about this. Can't wait to see you there. Okay, who do I have next? Okay, I've got Amelia next. Okay, Amelia. Hey, Amelia, can't wait for a meeting. And I just do it back to back to back to back. So it's a five minute video. It's got nine messages on it for all my meetings this week. And I just chop them up. And I upload them. Vidyard lets you upload all nine of them at the same time. I send them out. And I just sent nine videos. And I sent them out to VIP prospects. And it took me less than an hour. That's terrific. That makes the world of sense. And it, I mean, the other question, just to ask it, on the marketing side. So sales, obviously, salespeople are generally the ones going to be the host of that message. How do you identify people within the marketing side? Is it the most charismatic person you can find in the organization? Is it someone who has like a radio voice? Like, who do you look for to communicate non-salesy content? Everybody. You know, everybody has to tell the story. Um, sometimes the person who is the sales killer is not the best person on camera. You know, um, if you're making videos correctly, they should be able to be used horizontally throughout the organization, you know? So, um, and yeah, there's a lot of companies who like, they have DEI initiatives. They are really trying to not only hire white guys for every single role. And um, yeah, I tell them your whole organization should tell the story. And, you know, an example of this, think about like a 22 year old SDR. Imagine they're selling some complicated technical solution and they don't have any engineering knowledge. If you get the engineering person on video for 15 seconds being like, hey, I'm Brian, I'm the UX designer. I designed this all from scratch. Here's what makes us different. Now you can show up in their inbox with some credibility, you know, and um, I encourage people to team up. I say, you know what? Two heads are better than one. If you got a big account and you're handing them off to account management, 
get both of you on camera. Say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be introducing you to, with Grace. She's going to be handling your account from here. I'm so excited. Here's what you can expect from her on Monday. And um, yeah, you got to, just like you're experimenting with different message, messages, it's good to experiment with different message, messengers. And um, if anybody at home wants to hire me for a training package, this is part of what I, I do, where it's like, you record a bunch of different stuff and I'm actually incentivizing or I'm, I'm encouraging companies to incentivize their team to make TikToks, right? I'm saying, hey, you should provide some sort of bonus, ideally cash bonus to any of your employees who could produce, you know, five or 10 of these, right? Because the, the plan is you do your workshopping, you go around, you brainstorm a bunch of ideas for content of all times, and then you go off in your breakout rooms and you just bash them all at once, you know? So you got different members of the team. They've each got five to 10 different videos. You submit that all to marketing. Marketing now has dozens of videos that they can chop up. And again, you don't know what quality content is. You're going to discover that, you know? So if marketing is going out there, you're releasing X amount of videos per week and one of them just blows up on LinkedIn or one of them blows up on TikTok, that is now your sales materials. You can turn that into your cold templates. Uh, you can use that for your social selling. You can say, hey, by the way, did you see this thing that is blowing up on TikTok? It's kind of ridiculous, but I think you'll enjoy it. Um, but yeah, you're not gonna know what's gonna work until you just start doing stuff. And the easiest way is just get on camera as you talk about what you know, and when in doubt, imagine that one person you need to influence. What would you say to them if they were there, you know, sitting at the bar with you right now? You'd find the words. I think that is a fantastic place to leave it. That this has been a, just such a fun conversation. I've learned a ton. I am now mentally locking away about a dozen things I'm going to do immediately following it. But I love this. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining. I'm glad we got to do this. 